0: At about a quarter to nine o'clock, she heard a violent ringing at the gate at the front of the house, and on going to the door to see what was the matter, she saw a man standing outside, of whom she inquired what was the matter, and requested he would not ring so loud. The person instantly replied that he was a policeman, and said, "'For God's sake, bring me a light, for we have caught Spring-Heeled Jack here in the lane.'" She returned to the house and brought a candle and handed it to the person who appeared enveloped in a long cloak and whom she at first really believed to be a policeman. The instant she had done so, however, he threw off his outer garment and applying the lighted candle to his breast presented a most hideous and frightful appearance and vomited forth a quantity of blue and white flames from his mouth and his eyes resembled balls of fire. From the hasty glance, which her fright enabled her to get of this person, she observed that he wore a large helmet, and his dress, which appeared to fit him very tightly, seemed to her to resemble white oil skin. Without uttering a sentence, he darted at her, and catching her partly by her dress and the back part of her neck, he placed her head under one of his arms and commenced tearing her gown with his claws, which she was certain were of some metallic substance. She screamed out as loud as she could for assistance and by considerable exertion got away from him and ran towards the house to get in. Her assailant, however, followed her and caught her on the steps leading to the half-door when he again used considerable violence, tore her neck and her arms with his claws as well as a quantity of hair from her head. But she was at length rescued from his grasp by one of her sisters. Miss Elsop added that she had suffered considerably all night from the shock she had sustained, and was then in extreme pain, both from the injury done to her arm and the wounds and scratches inflicted by the miscreant about her shoulders and neck with his claws or hands. The Times of London, February 22nd, 1838.
1: Good evening to all you lovely people out there in the hinterlands. It's Rock and Max, and we're going to be your guides along the smoggy streets and poverty ridden alleys of Victorian
0: London here on Nightmares and Daydreams. Greetings, everyone. It was the best of times and yet the worst of times in old London town. And as always, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate our way through all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous, and inevitably fun. Fun, Max, always fun.
1: But do you want to know what's not funny? It's elementary, my dear rock. Yo, quit making 19th century literary quotes and just tell me, do you know what's not fun? No. How about a being in the shape of a man who can leap nine-foot walls and attacks with metal claws and breathes flame? Not fun. Indeed. And the weird thing about Spring Hill Jack, the subject of today's episode, is that descriptions varied very widely. So what was he really? the game is afoot. Damn it, Max, you better settle down, man. I know you were just watching young Sherlock Holmes, (laughs) but calm down. Come on. I
0: was watching The Irregulars. Okay. Okay, seriously, though, he or it is quite a puzzle to figure out. As you say, the accounts are so varied in description.
1: And the area that he covers is basically the entirety
0: of England. Even up to Scotland. According to the lore, yeah. So what's the best way to handle this? I guess we could just kind of go chronologically and talk about some of the accounts by witnesses i think that's the best way to do it you know what this reminds me of a little
1: is this going to be some charles dickens reference clearly what on earth is a plumber
0: (laughs) what's a weekend (laughs) what on earth is that (laughs) no really It makes me think of the Minochwa.
1: Ah, yes, that's a creature that attacked northern India in the early 2000s, and also is a subject of one of your Max's mythology. Exactly.
0: The descriptions are similarly varied, although the incidents only lasted one summer in that instance. As I said
1: earlier, that was a subject of one of your Max's mythology episodes, and uh, you Patreon supporters know what we're
0: talking about. Okay. So, like the descriptions of the being, person, phantom... Whatever the hell it was. Exactly.
1: And like its physical description, the span of activity is crazy long from 1837 to 1904. Yeah, 67 years. Crazy. So this thing is either a supernatural being
0: or more than one human. Or a hoax. Yeah, absolutely. Or or maybe a combination of actual people or an actual person and some copycatters or hoaxers thrown in. Just a line of hoaxers. It's a family tradition.
1: All right, man, so let's go back to the
0: beginning. And the story we started with, while one of the most popular ones, is not actually the beginning. So maybe tell the story of the first encounter. I'm on it, baby.
1: In October 1837, a servant girl named Mary Stevens had been visiting her parents in Battersea. On her way to Lavender Hill, where she worked and lived, she would pass through Clapham Common, And it was here that she was accosted by a terrifying man. He leapt from the shadows and he held her as he kissed her face and ripped at her clothes with, again, these claw-like hands. She's quoted as saying, his hands are cold and clammy like those of a corpse. She screamed and attracted the attention of the local residents, scaring the attacker away. The following day, the same character is said to have run in front of a carriage, causing it to crash and injure the coachman the perpetrator is said to have escaped
0: by jumping over a nine-foot wall. Okay, so immediately we have his most consistent ability or feature, the ability to jump enormous heights and distances.
1: Yep, he got some hops. That's the thing he's named after, his spring-like heels. Got them Nike vaporflies. Them limited editions, those are those giant-soled shoes that guy ran the sub-two-hour marathon in.
0: Am I right? That guy is the great Kipchoge, the master himself. Mm. But yeah, those are the shoes Nike claimed would take 4% off your time.
1: Or add 4% to your escape leap. You know, like 4% on your vertical? Sounds like a good deal. Yeah, I don't think that's on the brochure. You're thinking of the Jimmy on Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> but in uh, old school, I dig the Seinfeld <laughs> reference. Okay, but in this particular incident, he sounds like some kind of superpowered ghoul. Cold, clammy skin, claw like hands can jump over nine foot walls. The boy's a vampire, Maxi. Case solved. Is Clapham Common anywhere near Carfax Abbey? I'm sorry to disappoint you and our lovely listeners, Maxie But Carfax Abbey isn't real It was a fictional abbey invented by our boy, Bram Stoker Why you gotta be like that? This is the whole truth and nothing but the truth on this podcast It's a hard way to live, Rock But back to old Spring Hill Jack He sounds pretty human, or at least the undead human variety there Claw-like hands does sound ghoulish Very much so, or whitish or any other the undead that a 20th-level paladin can turn. And other accounts often described him as a tall, handsomely-dressed gentleman. That goes back to your vampire theory.
0: Yeah, like seven feet tall. Yeah, but not always, though.
1: No, no. In fact, one self-described resident of Peckham sent a letter to the mayor of London, and uh, I believe you have that letter in your coat pocket, Max? <laughs> I do. Next to your pipe? <laughs>
0: Letter from resident of Peckham, dated January 9th, 1838. Some individuals of, as the writer believes, the higher ranks of life, have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion, name as yet unknown, that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three disguises, a ghost, a bear, and a devil and moreover, that he will not dare to enter gentlemen's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses. At one house, he rung the bell, and on the servant coming to open the door, this worse-than-brute stood in a no less dreadful figure than a specter clad most perfectly. The consequence was that, the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. But on seeing any man, screams out most violently, take him away. There are two ladies, which your lordship will regret to hear, who have husbands and children and who are not expected to recover, but likely to become a burden on their families. So where exactly is Peckham? Is it part of London or something? It is now, but at the time it was a village south of London. On a side note, in 1767, the poet William Blake saw an angel there in a tree. All right, interesting. Uh,
1: Remember that for our Angels episode? But this letter makes it sound like the uh, so-called resident of Peckham maybe knows who the mischievous and foolhardy person is.
0: Well, they say the name is as yet unknown, but... At least somebody in their circle must. Mm-hmm. They call him a companion of these so called high rank people. Sounds like frat boy pranks. hmm. Stinks of it. <laughs> but maybe that's how it started, man. Just like pranks. Maybe. But then maybe they awoke something spirits or persons of devilish mind to imitate their behavior.
1: Okay, so the Jane Alsop story, which is what we let in with, happened on February 19th, a little over a month after this letter. But the characteristics of Springhill Jack have already become quite a bit more sinister and supernatural. I mean, hell, she says he breathed
0: blue and white flames in her face. Which all of you astronomers out there know is the hottest color of flame and he had glowing red eyes the scariest color of eyes
1: (laughs) exactly you see red eyes you know it's evil golden (laughs) eyes could be angelic we don't know that's somebody that just talks to wolves exactly exactly well placed wheel of time uh comment max i approve but my point being is that the changes came
0: fast and furious once this guy hit the papers there seems little doubt that some creepsters out in London or whatever other part of England chose to use the guise of spring Jack to engage in nefarious activities, attacking women in the night, sometimes sexually assaulting them, sometimes just physically injuring them. Yeah,
1: you know, in fact, Jane Alsop's father said that he was sure that it was more than one person involved in the assault on his own daughter. He said... It was perfectly clear that there was more than one ruffian connected with this outrage as the fellow who committed the violence did not return for his cloak, but scampered across the fields, so that there must have been some person with him to pick it up.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I understand that logic. I mean, is he saying that the guy couldn't have gotten home without a cloak because it was too cold or something? Or because he would have been noticed wandering about London without a cloak? I'm
1: not sure, man. I mean, that's a good question. Victorian logic is kind of a strange thing. Maybe he's like, a gentleman is never without his cloak, no matter the hour, even after assaulting me daughter. Perfect upper class Victorian accent there. That's so upper class. That's perfect, right? <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? No cloak? <laughs> He'll be a right off. All right. Please, our one London listener, don't get <laughs> mad at
0: us right now. <laughs> He's going be outraged. <laughs> well, how dare you? So you were talking about how quickly the descriptions escalated, and we started in October 1837 with a guy with cold hands. With claw-like cold hands. Okay, claw-like cold hands. And then a couple of months later, in January, Mr. or Mrs. Peckham resident is describing the person as being in the guise of a specter, bear, or devil.
1: I like that it's one of those three. It's either a ghost, yeah. a bear, or a demon. One or the other. Anything <laughs> other than that, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, it's, You know, they're not pulling that out of a hat, you would assume. And there were other attacks in the fall of 1837.
0: Okay, let's talk about those. I think it's important to demonstrate how wide-ranging these attacks were. Mm -hmm. For example, there was an account from Hammersmith in West London where he attacked a laundry worker. He jumped out in front of her in the form of a baboon with very large arms and eyes and grabbed her. And she tried to pull away, but he was too strong. But laundry was a strength building occupation before the days of the maytag man Mm -hmm. and being unable to pull away she decided to use her laundry acquired strength to beat the assailant about the head causing him to change his mind pretty quickly about his choice of target
1: Hmm. nice i picture kind of rosie the riveter kind of woman into crossfit big biceps can take care of herself (laughs) saw that baboon and just started hammering on the forehead with her you know laundry detergent or something That's what's up. Exactly. You know, Max, there was another early encounter in the fall of 1837 where a woman was visiting the cemetery and Clapham churchyard and saw a strange figure in a black coat and hat. And as she watched, this cat jumped a high fence and disappeared. That's definitely one of the tamer accounts. Totally, man. She just saw him, and he just peaced out. And that jump kind of confirms that it's our guy. But otherwise, it could have been any creepster that likes cemeteries. It's just that ability to jump over tall fences that kind of sets him apart. Yeah.
0: But were you speaking of Peckham resident not pulling descriptions out of their hat? Did you have a specific story in mind? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay,
1: man, thanks for reminding me. Okay, we're on my My notes, here we go. October 11th, 1837. A young farmer's daughter worked at a London pub. Her name was Polly Adams, and uh, she was heading home with some friends near Blackheath Fair when she was attacked. Now Spring Hill Jack ripped her blouse off and scratched her stomach with what were described as sharp, iron-tipped fingers or claws. Polly claimed that her attacker wore a large cloak and was quote-unquote devil-like, with bulging eyes and had the features of a nobleman, which I guess meant like a handlebar mustache. <laughs> After assaulting her, he escaped into the darkness by enormous
0: leaps and bounds. So interesting. The jumping ability is definitely the common thread through all of this. It's probably the only thing, man. Well, also the scratching and cutting
1: and the weird claws, you know? That reminds me again of the Manochwa. The monkey man of India, you know? Hey, I think it's interesting that she described him as devil-like. But also with the features of a nobleman.
0: Well, the devil's nothing if not a nobleman, Rock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) True, true. And in a lot of the illustrations of the time, he's is drawn in
0: kind of a devil-like suit. And they did arrest someone in connection with the attacks, actually. Uh, Well, several people over the years, I guess. But even at the very beginning, after the Alsop attack.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let me see. According to the lore and lo, we mean the newspapers, <laughs> a uh, Thomas Milbank apparently had boasted that he was the Spring Hill Jack while hanging out drinking at a local pub, and he seemed to fit the profile, even wearing white coveralls and a great coat. But he wasn't convicted. Nope. Because Miss Salsop said that her attacker breathed fire, and Milbank couldn't,
0: or at least wouldn't, do so, and the court let him go. I have to say, that seems pretty weak. He'd have to be pretty dumb to demonstrate his fire-breathing ability to the court that was going to convict him. Exactly. If the breath ain't lit, you must acquit.
1: It's <laughs> pretty good, actually. It was number was 32, no crime could he do. All right. <laughs> you know it, man.
0: Well, the attacks happened for like 70 years on and off, from London to the Midlands to Bonnie, Scotland. I
1: think uh, the last attack was in Liverpool in the early 1900s, like uh, 1904. Craziness. It's like there's so much evidence and yet so little. Exactly, man. Just, you know, where to start with sorting it all? It's kind of like the story of Jack the Ripper, which I guess was kind of his
0: contemporary. True. Victorian England was a rough place, people. Yeah, it was. You say you want to live in a simpler time, but trust me, we're in the golden age right now. Well, compared to that, unless you're the
1: nobility... And you were a dude, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, just the dentistry alone, man. Word. Love your dentist, people. You can love your dentist, just don't love your dentist. Sponsored by the American Dentist Association.
0: (laughs) We wish. We do
1: indeed. Well, Max, with that, gang, I
0: believe we are done. Thanks for hanging out with us, lovely listeners. It is much appreciated. 100% rock. Shout out to the best part in the business, our own Teresa Joy, who gives us that amazing sound that you all know and love. Find her at Vara Bright on Facebook and Instagram and check out her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. And please gang, head over to whatever podcast you listen to us on. And since
1: you guys are all patrons, you've probably done this, but spread the word to your inner circle and share
0: that nightmares and daydreams love. Help our podcast get out there, y'all. I know I've seen a lot of you on Facebook, Twitter, etc. We love it when you comment. We love it when you like our posts. Mix it up. Yep. Don't forget to head on over to our own website, NightmaresPodcast.net. And holler at your boys. We'd love to hear from you. So, lovely
1: humans, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet
0: dreams. Sweet dreams.